On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome to all of you who are joining us today. I am here, Felice Gerwitz, with Professor Wilson uh, for another episode of Current Issues in the Constitution. So welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. Always a pleasure. Oh, this one's going to be fun. Um, We are going to be talking about quite a few uh, different things that have been happening as well as um, something that we need to be aware of, and that is we need to be educated. And I think, Woody, you and I have uh, almost pounded that into uh, the ground on all of our episodes now. I think we've, you know, covered it quite extensively that, um, you know, most of you listening are educated in what's happening today and are keeping tabs on, you know, various news channels as well as on the Internet and, of course, um, as Woody always says, look for at least three key documents to read because uh, it's kind of hard now to uh, differentiate the truth with what's being uh, taught even from uh, trusted news sources. I don't know if there is such a thing anymore. But, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about today and, and address today is our overall theme of this episode and uh, Woody does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work here, and I'm really happy to be able to follow his his lead and his outline, which uh, can be found in the show notes. So if you go to currentissuesandtheconstitution.com, you will find a um, a button that says Hope and Change, and it's episode number 37. And there you will find um, information that we talked about today as well as some links to some websites where you can view uh, more of the information that we're going to be sharing and, um, you know, obviously these notes that we're talking about today. And Woody, you know, I read this really interesting article which I thought tied in perfectly with what we're talking about. And for those of you that don't remember, Hope and Change was a platform that President Obama ran on uh, when he was a political candidate, and his talk was on how he was going to change America for the better. And I think, as we'll see by all of the issues we'll be talking about today or current events that we'll be talking about today, um, you know, that's one of the things that we're going to critically analyze. But um, I found something interesting that I read, and I'll give you the link in the notes, but it talked about uh, lawmakers in several of the states that were going to give their high schoolers a civics exam as a prerequisite for graduation because they were appalled that um, some of the kids couldn't even tell who the first president of the United States was. 
And I know all of you listening probably are equally appalled, but there was something like uh, 23% knew that George Washington was uh, the first president. And um, only, and, and they gave these kids the test that is given to immigrants. And immigrants have to answer 10 questions orally. And they said, you know, they, the students were pulled randomly and, you know, asked this list of questions that is used by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And then only, you know, 2.8% of Oklahoma students passed the test. Only 3.5% of Arizona students passed. And that's when they said, you know, only 23% knew that George Washington um, was president. So it's, you know, those states um, are considering it as well as in lawmakers in Indiana are also considering that. And, you know, we're not so appalled by that. <laughs> probably, as uh, some might be. And I, I know, Woody, when, when you taught school that you were very good at, uh, you know, explaining um, and teaching history uh, from a, an amazing perspective, actually one that we used in a class on American history and government. And, um, you know, the, the kids actually learned, um, you know, what you call the fabulous facts of American history um, by a series right, of slide yeah. presentations. And that was something that you came out with, and when you were a teacher, you used it as a pass-fail. So explain just a little bit about that. First of all, are you shocked that the kids didn't know that? No, I'm not shocked at all. Um, you know, social studies in education circles, uh, national, uh, federal, state has basically taken a back seat. You probably noticed when Common Core uh, first came out, and still today, uh, there are no social studies standards. It's basically reading, language arts, math, and now they're adding science, although the science standards that we're seeing are pretty much right out of United Nations Agenda 21 emphasizing environment, emphasizing global warming caused by man-made CO2 emissions and all of that. And while we're doing all of that, social studies is ignored, forgotten, no money, no resources, no effort, no, no let's do a better job here. Um, if people don't understand their history, um, then what kind of citizen are they going to be? If they don't understand the Constitution or their role in their lives as a citizen of a free country, which depends upon them, or should, uh, for leadership and guidance, and then where are we going to be with, with a voting populace? Uh, so mm -hmm. no, nobody is interested in that and working on that, except a few, and um, apparently, Felice, you've picked up on a few as well. So there's a lot of uh, need there. And, and again, I'm you know, as you were talking, I was reminded of that book, 1984, by George Orwell, Mm -hmm. came out in the 1950s, early Cold War, big totalitarian regime coming out of the Soviet Union and all that. And one of the things that uh, Orwell basically put into his novel was, and through his characters, he got it across to you that the government of this totalitarian state made sure that the state controlled the curriculum and uh, history basically was rewritten in that curriculum uh, to support totalitarian goals. They flooded uh, the streets with cheap drugs and alcohol. I'm thinking of the 
marijuana laws now in Washington, Oregon, and, and Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. People are walking mm-hmm. down the streets smoking pot. And an amazing thing, but, you know, just flood, flood the market with that. Make sure people can have all the booze and all the drugs they want. And, of course, they'll be stupid and apathetic. Um, so, so I just get the idea that um, perhaps in, in our country today, perhaps there is an agenda uh, to establish more or less a a greater totalitarian um, president, central, governmental, economic, social system where the people are basically basically become subjects of the government, pretty much ignorant and pretty much apathetic, uh, smoking pot and not knowing who the first president of the United States was, or knowing the difference between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I did see a study on that. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, the people that uh, involved in the study failed that one, too. They just didn't know the difference. So all of those things come into my mind uh, when you talk about civics and civics education, the social Civics comes under the banner of social studies, right? and it is a worry. It is. So today we are going to inform our audience, and uh, how we do this, um, for those of you maybe joining us for the first time, is we go through some key topics that are in the news, and we do that to discuss, you know, not only, um, you know, our take on it or, you know, just to to comment on something to keep our eyes open on, but also to point you um, to these topics so that you can also be listening. And one of the things I want to urge every one of you that is listening today is if you can share this show with just one friend, we're not asking you to share it with 10 friends, but maybe just one friend, somebody else who you would like to help educate to keep their eyes and ears open about what's happening in our world today so we can, um, one person at a time, make the world a better place and not expect uh, to elect a leader who is going to give us hope and change. And uh, we did definitely get the change. I don't know about the hope. So, um, Woody, today we are going to start with uh, legal immigration, which is still in the news. So let's talk about that. Yes, is any is anybody getting tired of talking about illegal immigration besides me? It just yeah. won't go away and I've been reading about it for the last 20 or 30 years and following it. And it's kind of a a sad thing that we can't solve this problem. Uh it just goes on and on. And there is the legal part, people cross the border illegally, you catch them, you send them back. And then there's a the humanitarian part. They've always come across the border, and they used to be welcomed across the border to pick the crops, uh, especially out in California, but also in Florida and Texas and along the Gulf Coast. Uh, Most of the time when the picking season was over, they would go back. Well, today they're not going back. They're staying. And um, there are really some problems. You know, our heart goes out to these poor people. Uh, They they come here because of their poverty. You know, in Europe, they're having the same problem with people coming up from Africa and from the Middle East, uh, escaping poverty to come into a a developed system where they can get a job and live in a decent house and and live live a decent life. So, you know, Americans are are very uh, 
loving people, I think you could say. We're a Christian people, and yes, we are our brother's keepers, and our heart goes out to people uh, across the world. I remember when I taught in the public schools, I frequently asked my students, I I would say, when you hear in the news of a child, and maybe you see a photograph of a child starving to death in Africa, does it bother you? Raise your hand if it does. And usually 80 or 90% of the hands would go up. Americans are like that. We, we have a, even in our children, we seem to have a sense of responsibility about the people of the world, the people that are suffering, those people that are suffering under the evil hand of ISIS right now, for example. It bothers us. And that, that comes into the illegal immigration thing. We do feel bad for these people. We do um, feel protective of these people. But at the same time, uh, laws are being broken, um, a great deal of entitlement problems, uh, expansion and the cost um, are burdening middle class workers, for example. So you go both ways on this, and um, sometimes it's hard to make up your mind. But let me remind you that um, in article of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, uh, gives the power of uh, dealing with immigration and, and immigration law to Congress, uh, where it says to establish an uniform rule of naturalization. Other than that, the Constitution is silent on the issues of immigration that we're dealing with today. In Article 2, um, the executive branch, there's no mention of naturalization or immigration or anything else. There is no place in the Constitution that the president is given power to make law or policy regarding immigration into the United States. So we have this controversy. The president says, well, Congress won't pass the law, therefore they're obstructionists, they're the bad guys. Media picks it up and calls Republicans all kinds of names. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to issue an executive order. We're going to, get, going to give amnesty to 5 million um, immigrants that are here in the United States today. So we are fighting over that. Uh, Republicans um, have both houses of Congress although they don't have the 60 seats to stop filibuster in the Senate and pass a law. Uh, Democrats can block anything they want to. Republicans could uh, go to the Rules Committee and establish simple majority vote for one piece of legislation, but they won't do that. Um, They've had the chance to do it just recently. Instead, they just allow the Democrats to block legislation that would deal uh, with that. So, these problems are just staying. They are not being solved. Some people say, okay, well, it's a dysfunctional Congress. Um, Congress is doing nothing. They're not doing anything. Well, it's the way it's always been. You know, it took, it took 20 years, uh, running up to 1860 to solve the problem, to try to solve the problem of slavery, and they couldn't. They couldn't because you had southern states and northern states going at it um, in Congress, just like we have um, conservatives and liberals going at it today, and you know when you see a law like we're going to talk about HR five in just a little bit. If you take a look at that law, there are a lot of things that conservatives can be happy about, but there are a lot of things that liberals can be happy about. So that's like a compromise law, uh, where everybody gets a little bit of something that they want and maybe can get enough votes to pass it. Uh, so 
that's what we have with illegal immigration. We're just not solving the problem that's going on and on. But we have another controversy uh, in the news right now. And the question is, have ISIS terrorists crossed the Mexican border? Are, has ISIS sent assassins, terrorists, suicide bombers, machine gunners, people with knives to cut off heads? Have they mm-hmm. been sent into the United States to spread their terror across America? Well, the Border Patrol, the United States Customs and Border Protection Agency, Rick Perry, the former governor of Texas, now presidential candidate, several congressmen have said yes. Ten of them, ten of them have been captured. How many have not been captured? They are coming across the Mexican border. Meanwhile, the Department of Homeland Security says no. There's no confirmation. There's no confirmation that, that terrorists have crossed our border. So who do you believe? Do you believe the people on the border? Border Patrol, Customs Agency, uh, Texans, Congressmen, or do you believe the people in Washington, D.C.? I'll leave that to you. Also in the news again, I remember this from 2008, um, an illegal immigrant who had been uh, sent to prison is um, uh, finishes his term and is released from prison. And apparently they have some kind of a pact among this Hispanic prisoner group. You get out of prison, the first thing you do is you kill a black man. Not a white man, uh, not a Jew, not a Muslim. You kill a black man. And, uh, you know, if not, then they're going to get you sometime later. So this guy, Pedro's, Pedro Espinoza, was released from prison and went down the street in a car uh, looking. It was uh, after basketball practice, I believe, and a young man, very good student, nice kid. Everybody loved him, had a great future very high grade point average, very good athlete, Jamel Shaw, young black man, was a teenager, was on his way home. And Espinosa pulls up behind him and shoots him and kills him. This was an illegal immigrant. And um, it's coming back in the news because a lot of illegal immigrants are criminals. Some, perhaps, are terrorists. And we are going to give them amnesty. Um, so this this comes up as an argument against amnesty and for absolute deportation and for what everybody, I think, agrees on. Not very many people, not even liberals, will dis- disagree when you say we need to secure the border. We need to spend millions, hundreds of millions, or even a few billion dollars and secure that border. We have the resources. We have the technology block the border, then we'll deal with what we have here. And another point on illegal immigration, Jeb Bush in 2013 must not have been thinking about running for president at the time, and he's trying to talk his way out of it uh, now. Uh, He mentions that uh, immigrants deserve, illegal immigrants deserve an accelerated path to citizenship accelerated path to citizenship, even though they came here illegally. So in the primaries that are coming up fairly soon, uh, next year, January, not very soon, is it? Can he overcome this? Can he overcome the the fact that he has supported basically, well, I guess that you could say that uh, Jeb Bush and Barack Obama are of like mind 
where amnesty mm-hmm. and citizenship, um, illegal immigration is concerned. Can Bush overcome that? Can he get the conservative vote? He'll have to. And he also supported Common Core, which has become very unpopular with conservatives. National standards. Uh, basically, what you have is a this Common Core is a system where ultimately the federal government will control the national cur- curriculum. And that is just not acceptable when all the facts are showing and decades of research are showing that schools that have autonomy, autonomy to create and decide upon their own curriculum and assessments perform better than those who don't. So flying in the face of fact, you have basically a government takeover of our education system of the hearts and minds of our children. So Jeb Bush has that baggage, and that's why he's not doing well in the polls. Uh, Usually he's coming in fourth or fifth or something like that, and the people that are are ahead of him are strong, known, confirmed conservatives. So uh, those things, you know, immigration even is, my point is here, that illegal immigration, the problems that it has created, are very much a part of our presidential election system. So keep an eye on illegal immigration. Yeah, Yeah, we need to um, really keep on um, task with this and and understand what's going on and understand, you know, when it comes to election time, what our kids believe. And I think Jeb Bush has an uphill battle here because that's two strikes and two not very small strikes, but major ones, especially among the homeschoolers and the common core issue so um i didn't and, know, and you know he um yeah he is he is, has more money uh he has outraised everybody else and you know people always say well if you get the money you're going to be you're going to get the vote not true in this case um while he is out uh funding all of the other candidates at this point um i, I think that's going to change I, you know if he stays like down there in fourth, fifth, sixth place as the polls continue to come out uh, every third or fourth day, you know, donors are going to start saying, well, hmm, this guy isn't doing too well. Um, Maybe we've got to look around and and find somebody else to support. And that's going to happen. It's probably already happening right? um, as other people beat him in the polls constantly. So we'll see. Right. All right. Well, we're going to also discuss uh, HR5, and I wanted to bring this up. Lydia and I had discussed it, and it's interesting because I looked at the HSLDA site. If you're not familiar as a homeschooler, it's the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and um, I will have that link on our show notes under show 37, Hope and Change, uh, the question mark. And um, basically, it reauthorizes the changes in elementary and secondary education, and it has now since been pulled um, for from a vote. But the interesting thing was HSLDA's position was that it was neutral um, because the bill exempts homeschools and private schools that do not receive federal funds from federal control, and it goes through and it lists some things. But what I thought was really interesting and concerning is that um, the federal government's use of federal funds to pressure states into adopting Common Core standards and other educational initiatives um, 
And we have to be vigilant when these things even look okay. Like you said, Woody, um, you and I had talked about the HR5, that there were some compromises for both. But um, what I was looking at when I was uh, researching uh, some of the people websites that really did not like this bill and were were pushing against the bill. And the basic thing is, um, you know, it was con- a continuation of the federal government's push for pressuring states. And you know, if you want to know more about Common Core, I think we did two or three shows about it, and we probably will do some more shows moving forward. Um, but also, because there's another movie coming out on the topic um, that we'll want to review. But more so, what is upsetting to me is that um, the way it took ground was with people not understanding it and just taking federal money. And with federal money comes, you know, strings. There isn't anything free. And I think that's what we have to understand and remember, that everything comes with a price. And while it may sound like a good thing, you know, the states were reeling from this no child left behind law and every everybody um, seems to hate it, whether you're right wing or left wing. Um, nobody liked this no child left beho- uh, behind law that was supposed to, you know, bring up um, the level of, I mean, what what gets me, Woody, in all of these things is how well they are with words. None of us, though, you were talking about, you know, your students and how nobody wants to see poverty on the streets. Nobody wants any children left behind. You know, none of us are elitist right. sitting here yeah. saying, well, only my kids can be educated. I'm sorry, your kids can't. That's not true, but they use these words without the understanding that if you're going to be taking federal dollars, then you're going to have to answer to the federal government, and you're going to have to pass these tests because if you're not passing their specific tests, which teachers are then going to have to spend all their time trying to get their students to pass and not teach, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be a lost cause. So, you know, our system is a mess. And um, one of the statements I want to read you from the HSLDA website, which I thought was hysterical and true, it said, um, this is their position. We believe the federal government has no constitutional role in the education policy. Until the federal government recognizes this, including shutting down the U.S. Department of Education, federal education dictates will continue to lead to centralized education policy, ultimately weakening local and parental control over education. Unfortunately, HR 5 continues to have federal government setting policies for public schools. So I loved it, you know, until they recognize that they have no rights and would you please shut down the U.S. Department of Education, by the way. You know, this Uh, this is a perfect coincidence, and I want everybody to understand that Felice and I did not talk about this. But I'm sitting here with a copy of the Constitution in my hand, opened up to the Tenth Amendment, uh, which basically, um, in constitutional language, says exactly what police just said. We've talked wow. about this before. In fact, uh, we have all looked at it together before. But let me read it again. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And that was ratified, Tenth Amendment, with the Bill of Rights in 1791. Now go back. The power is not delegated to the United States. That means the federal government. 
or denied to the states. So in other words, if it's not in the Constitution, which education is not, you don't find that word in the Constitution, then it is a power that is reserved to the states. And Felice and the people that she was quoting are exactly right, and I've been saying this, taught my students this for 37 years, the federal government should not be spending one dime on education. There should not be an education department of any kind. There should not be Title I. There should not be No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, uh, millions of dollars supporting Common Core. None of that should be happening. And we're hearing this more and more because as the federal government has grown and grown and grown, in terms of the money and resources it commands in the area of education. Student achievement and the performance of schools has declined steadily. People are beginning to realize that. I'm seeing it and hearing it every place, um, not just the website Felice was talking about, but it is everywhere. People know and understand that the federal government is not the solution to the problem. The federal government is the problem. And if they, you know, remember that was 1993, 1994, Bill Clinton was the president, the Republicans take Congress, Newt Gingrich comes up with his contract with America, I think 14 points, and one of them was to abolish the Department of Education. Well, they mm -hmm. didn't get it done. But that attitude and that belief and that desire is still out there. And with the changing of the guard, that we saw in the last election, if we see it again in 2016, we've got a chance. As a matter of fact, H.R. 5 uh, has some language that uh, rolls back or, or decreases uh, the powers and responsibilities the federal government have been using in regards to the education system. Right. So we, we see it in many different places. Yeah, yeah, I had those highlighted in the in the, the notes, but I will put that on the website. Yeah, there are some like it, you know, I said there are some good things about it, but for us, anything that is coming through the federal government right now is is uh, not a good thing. And so, for most of the people that I know, you know, they're asking their representatives not to um, sign it, and I think that they didn't get the support because. Um, there's such, you know, discontented, you pointed out with Common Core, that everybody's looking at at anything coming out, and they want to get more out of an educational bill with the newly controlled Republican Congress. But like you said, unless yeah. they step up to the plate and start uh, doing some things like simple majority votes and, and getting their act together, you know, sometimes it makes me so upset that I want to write them and say, hey, do you guys even know you can do this? Because um, I'm sure they do. I'm being facetious yeah. here, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. But uh, you just kind of wonder because it seems like it's not. It's just not happening. Well, we we are going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to continue on uh, with DHS funding, ISIS, Netanyahu speech, and a lot more. So everybody, hold on, and we'll be right back. What happens when you learn about the fabulous facts of American history, add notable presidential events, and a good measure of the U.S. Constitution? Well, you get a history class that is informative and has no rival. See 64 hours of video 
taught by AP-level instructor and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, were recorded with a live audience. Now available on demand on your time, you can view this class from the comfort of your own home. This video course comes with instruction, handouts, and the tools you need for a high school level course that can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Especially designed for the homeschool audience and published and produced by Media Angels, a company you have learned to trust with the goal of excellence in education. Need more information? Sure. Go to MediaAngels.com or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and order your set today. Your kids will thank you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Current Issues and the Constitution. Today, our big question is hope and change. Uh, has there been hope after the big change? And that's what we're talking about today as well as a lot of things that have been happening in the news. And we're going to pick up uh, where we left off, and that is with DHS funding. So tell us, Woody, what is DHS funding? Yeah, I just want to remind you, I, I don't want to get into this in detail, um, I would rather you um, follow that in the news and, and watch the progress of this legislation or this potential policy. The De Department mm -hmm. of Homeland Security is basically the chief agency of five or six agencies who are responsible for illegal immigration. Well, you remember back in December the 10th um, when the Democrats still controlled the Senate I guess they took their uh, boxing gloves off and shook hands and passed a budget that would uh, fund the government up until September of 2015, except for Department of Homeland Security. They agreed not to fund it until the new Congress came in. So in January, Republicans take over the Senate. They've already got the House, so the House passes a bill funding um, – uh, Department of Homeland Security, but without any money or resources uh, for de uh, implementing the president's executive order on, on amnesty. All right, so it passed the House, uh, mostly Republicans. Uh, Thirty-some Democrats voted for it in the House out of 435 people altogether. Uh, it had a pretty sizable majority, but not two-thirds to override a veto. So the bill goes to the Senate, and the Democrats block it by invoking the cloture rule. They start filibustering, that is, talking and talking and talking, and they will talk for the next five years if necessary to prevent a vote coming on this piece of legislation, which would pass with 54 Republicans and, the, and a few Democrats probably voting for it as well. So it stopped right there. Now, at that point, Republican Senate have the choice. They could either eliminate cloture for this one piece of legislation, or they could eliminate cloture altogether. That's a, this, a Senate back in the 1840s established it before the Civil War. A Senate today could end it. Uh, a year or so ago when uh, Democrats had the Senate, they the Democrats voted to end the cloture rule for all presidential appointments. So I was expecting and hoping that Congress, the Senate, would do the same thing. The Republicans, they had control, but they won't do it. They didn't do it. They're bashful. They're shy. Uh, what is this? Uh, who are the Republicans that we sent to the Senate to represent us and to deal with these problems? 
So now they're talking about, and it went back to the House, and Nancy Pelosi got in on it, and they're doing all the name-calling and shouting. And they're talking about um, taking amnesty out of the bill, pass the DHS bill, and then deal with amnesty separately. That's the latest. So now watch that. That could be very, very interesting to see whether or not amnesty becomes a separate issue, the executive order and all that, and um, whether or not, uh, I know the House can pass, pass it, whether or not the Senate Republicans will do what's necessary to stop this executive order. Now, many of the congressmen are laying back and saying, oh, well, it's in the courts. We've got a lawsuit. We've got a judge put an injunction. There's no amnesty going on right now because a federal judge in Texas said no, and we're waiting to see what the appeals court says. It might go to the Supreme Court. So in the meantime, while all this is going on in Congress, amnesty is not being implemented. But do keep an eye on that one. That's a big one. Well, I just can't imagine why we were just sitting around. What is this Congress going to do? And and if they're not, then it's going to make a lot of them, um, you know, not be reelected. Do you have any any you know thoughts, Woody, about that? You know, because we we were excited and we were hoping to see some some things get passed. Uh, um, let's put it this way, I guess is. I don't know how to be politically correct in our favor. <laughs> Things that we no. want to see passed and changed, you know. Um, tired of of the change that I didn't like. Uh, and so, you know, what what is their reasoning? I'm not understanding this. Do you have any? I think they're afraid. I think they're just. I think they're scared to death of the election of 2016. And they know very well that 75 percent of the media, what we call the mainstream media are going to support the president, the liberal uh, point of view, uh, the executive order, and um, they could just really beat up on Republicans and Republican candidates. Uh, They don't want to lose the Senate in 2016, and they only have a four-seat majority, and they Mm -hmm. don't want to lose the White House, uh, which is theirs for the taking, really. I mean, you got uh, eight years of Obama and the harm that uh, they have done to this country, and his Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, is the candidate. I mean, uh, Republicans have got that if they play their cards right. So they don't want to shut down the government, and they don't want to do anything that would give um, their opposition and the media ammunition with which to take away what they gained in the last election and put another dem- socialist Democrat, essentially, in the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. it's a real struggle. It's a real battle. And um, I guess you could say they're playing it smart. You know, since I think uh, Obama's kind of laying back and taking it easy and sort of like James Buchanan before the Civil War, Just I, I saw a cartoon once, James Buchanan is down on his knees. Things are really heating up, and he's praying to God. Uh, to make sure the war doesn't break out while he's still in office. And so I, I see that in Obama, and I'm kind of seeing that in the uh, in the Republicans in the Senate. They are uh, holding their cards close to their vests, so to speak, um, waiting for that election of 2016. 
And then if you've got a good conservative in the White House and Republicans still hold the Senate, then uh, you could see some big changes in Washington, D.C. So that's the hope. But, uh, you know, we had that hope. See, that, that's the thing, Felice. Back in 2000, we elected George W. Bush, and he had a Republican Congress, and he had a Republican Congress, both houses, for six years, and they did nothing right. except go to war with Iraq and Afghanistan. And they were preoccupied with the uh, post-9-11 problems we had to deal with, but they passed No Child Left Behind. And uh, the government grew by 4 to 6% every year while they were in office. And Democrats blocked every bill that any conservatives put forth. And Republicans who, were, who had the majority just accepted that. And I just get a sense that with Mitch McConnell's majority leader, uh, back then it was that doctor from Tennessee, um, his name will come to me in a minute, who was a majority leader. And I'm thinking, uh, gosh, you guys ought to just stand up and double up your fists and do what's right. And, um, you know, uh, devil may care as, as, as to what will happen. Do what's right for America and for the American people. But um, Felice, as far as as what's going to happen, I tell you, I wouldn't bet a nickel on it. Uh, one way or the other. I just really don't have any idea. These people it, are professional um, politicians, yeah. and even if they are Republicans, they're still professional politicians. Yeah, and, and that's gotta, unfortunate. That's unfortunate. I yes. just get very frustrated. Was the guy's name Bill Frist? I just did a quick yes, online Yes, Bill Frist from okay. Tennessee. Right. Yeah, it's always nice to have the Internet right here to, to double-check on things. Well, Woody, we've got a lot yeah. to cover in a little bit of time. So ISIS, unfortunately, is not going around, and that was pretty chilling at the beginning of the show when you talked about them infiltrating the Mexican border. Uh, so so let's talk about that. Uh, very, very concerning. I, you know, I hear people um, I hear people talking about, and I mean, people that study this, that are full-time, Unlike you and me, uh, we can't do that. People in the National Security Office, the State Department, the uh, uh, CIA, or you know, re- retirees from the Pentagon and so on, that are are calling our confrontation with ISIS World War III, and uh, they are very serious about that. And I can see why they're saying it. ISIS is spreading. There are a billion Muslims on this planet, and they're on they're in just about every country including about 9 million in the United States. And um, this ISIS group is spreading. They have cells in northwest Africa down around um, um, Algeria, Morocco, uh, Chad, Sudan, down in that region. And they have a cell, apparently, in Egypt. They have one in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're spreading out. They are actively spreading out, and they have millions of dollars to spend. And, um, wow, you know, we know what terrorism is, and we know how it works. These guys have money, and they are very well armed, and they are psychotic, sadistic against anybody that is not Muslim and against people that are Muslim that don't um, share the uh, views of the Koran and, uh, and Allah that ISIS holds. So bow down to our view and you will live, uh, basically is what they're saying to other Muslims. So 
Is this a third world war? If so, wow. I don't know how you fight it. You know, in World War II, we knew who the enemy was. We knew where they were. We knew what they had. It was just a question of uh, marshalling up against them, putting our resources together, planning strategy, and taking them on face-to-face and head-to-head. Well, it isn't like that with terrorism. It's, terrorism is like a guerrilla uh, type of warfare. You don't know for sure where they are. You don't know where they're going to strike. You don't know what they look like. Um, you don't even know who they are. We have even have a president that won't call them what they are, Islamic terrorists, basically. And I can understand why he doesn't, but nonetheless, this is going to be a, a confusing, ugly thing. And we hear from the White House now that with ISIS, the problem is not evil or the pursuit of power. It's poverty, they're saying. And I just really get a kick out of how they do this. You know, all of a sudden, I'm watching the news, and all of a sudden, everybody in the White House, the State Department, um, United Nations ambassador, are all saying the same thing. So what do these people do? Do they get together over the weekend and sip wine and talk about what their new strategy is going to be? What's the language we're going to use to try to turn people's attention away from uh, the real problems called wagging the dog? Uh, so all in the same day, the president... Susan Rice, um, and a State Department spokesman uh, whose name I do not recall, a blonde-haired girl, all said were saying, explaining to the reporters the same basic thing, that the problem with ISIS is poverty in the Middle East and very poor people that have other, no other means of support are leaving their homes and families and running to join ISIS because uh, they at least can have food and probably be paid some money, and they get indoctrinated, and they're probably probably not the brightest people in the world, easily persuaded, easily propagandized and brainwashed, and they become holy warriors for Allah. And again, people are still debating whether this is a holy war. Um, I think it could probably morph into that, but right now um, ISIS is killing just Anybody that stands in their way, whether they're Muslim, Christian, Jew, um, it doesn't matter at this point. I don't, I don't think you have the qualities necessary to say we have a holy war. And that could happen down the road. Do we have a third yeah. world war? I'd say that it's uh, very possible. Wow. That's a very scary thought, Woody. Yeah, this is a real, real, very serious problem. ISIS is a very serious problem, a threat to the United States. And uh, so far, we have been completely ineffective in dealing with it. So. I think as a a people, we need to put some pressure on um, the groups that can uh, do something. And I know, you know, it's all, it seems like it's all in the president's hands, but that's not you know, necessarily true. Well, you're right. I mean, Congress, um, in fact, there is discussion of Congress taking action um, on ISIS policy, uh, trying to pass uh, legislation that kind of pressures the president to become a commander-in-chief and really deal with this problem before you can no longer deal with it, before it gets totally out of hand. Like I said, these guys are spreading 
uh, in several different places. They're popping up in many different places. Uh, their people are coming across the southern border of the United States, probably. And, you know, if we keep waiting and waiting and waiting and just, you know, a few pinprick bombing strikes uh, now and then, which are not obviously and clearly not working, um, we've got to step up and take care of this problem before it is out of hand. Yeah, great. Okay. And, so, um, uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, in conjunction with that, uh, we have the Netanyahu speech, and you got to yes. look at look at this thing uh, globally. I mean, when you when you hear about or uh, read about or think about uh, the Middle East of the Israelis, try to put yourself over there through empathy. Try to put yourself in the place of a of a young person living in Tel Aviv, uh, the capital of Israel. And your country has been attacked again and again since 1948 uh, by the Muslim countries that surround you. Uh, they want to kill you. They want to wipe you out. They send in suicide bombers. They start firing thousands of rockets at you, uh, terrorist groups, killing men, women, and children. Um, and if you are living in Tel Aviv, and let's say you're a young Israeli student, what are you thinking about ISIS? And what are you thinking about Iran developing a nuclear weapon? They don't see it the same way we do. And when Netanyahu uh, yesterday made his speech to Congress, he made it very, very clear uh, that the larger threat to Israel and to America and to the rest of the world is not ISIS the larger threat is Iran. And um, you know, he went through the history of his country. He went through the history of that great, strong, powerful alliance between the United States and Israel up until Obama became president. And o Obama, I don't know, what's the guy doing? Some people say he's a Muslim. I don't think he is. I don't, there's no documentation at all anywhere that says he is or ever has been Muslim. Um, but um, I, I think more possibly he wanted to make a public stand showing that he as president, commander-in-chief, chief diplomat, was not, was not in Israel's pocket. So he kind of was harsh towards Israel and um, warm and friendly at the same time towards the Muslim state, believing that he could go down in history as the great peacemaker the American president who brought about peace throughout the Middle East. Well, if I saw President Obama, I would shake his hand and I would probably say, nice to meet you, Mr. President. How's that peace in the Middle East thing working out for you? <laughs> uh, because um, he's, he's had exactly the opposite effect. And I think I said in this show, or maybe it was uh, last year, Felice, um, there's one thing that people in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe and Russia understand and that thing is power they understand power and they react to it they don't understand handshakes and bowing and uh, smiling and negotiations and making nice they don't react to that power is what they react to if an american president told the iranian uh, leadership of that country you dismantle your nuclear facilities 
you've got 30 days to do it. And if you don't, we are going to bomb your nuclear facilities. Now, that I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying that is something that they understand. They would probably say, okay, okay, we'll play ball if they believed uh, that that would happen. So That's in Netanyahu's... One thing me. I want to do, I do, well, a couple of things I want to okay. say really quickly. One, I, I don't know that I don't, I think that there's something suspicious with Obama saying that he's a, a Christian because I really don't think he is. And like you said, there's no perfect evidence, but wasn't his father Muslim? So, you know, it Yes, his it father was, was Muslim, and I don't yeah. think he, he very rarely, he went to a Muslim school in Indonesia, I think, was it, for three or four years? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I do think there are some ties there, and, and you know, but that's irregardless to, to his station as a president. And didn't uh, uh, President Reagan tell Mr. Gorbachev to take his wall down? You know, so there have been forthright presidents who have had the backbone to, you know, make a stance. And this president obviously is going to go down in history as, um, you know, having stood for nothing. I can't, you know, it's like somebody said, you know, Hillary, what have you done? You know, I mean, anything that Obama has done has not been a good thing. And so that is going to go down, you know, I don't know of anybody, you know, you don't give, some, just like when he got, I'm going off on tangents here, but it's irritating to be, just like when he was given, you know, the, the peace treaty, um, the peace treaty, whatever that was, the, um, what award did he get, Woody, the Nobel Prize before Nobel he did anything? Nobel Peace Prize, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who does that? Yeah. Who gives somebody a Nobel Peace Prize because they're going to do something great and then they don't? I mean, there have it, it just there's something rotten in Denmark and uh, to use mm. a little colloquialism. And so I just feel that there's more more there. I I don't agree with you know the blocking of the speech. Um, you know, he has been and Israel has been an ally for so many years. You cannot just turn your back on you know, a fundamental principle of the American peacekeeping, you know, society. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, one of the things I do love about you, Woody, is that you are very, you know, you look at both sides and you're, and you try to be very neutral. And I know privately you share things with me, which is good, because we don't want to devolve into just being negative. But no. we do want to present the facts and let people make up their own mind. But sometimes it's very frustrating for me. Yeah, I, I have been. Uh, I, I think the reason I'm like that, Felice, is one, I'm a history teacher, and documentation is everything. Um, mm -hmm. And there is so much bad history um, that right. that people write that that basically is politically inspired. And I just, um, I guess, I'm a purist when it comes to that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, to be quite honest, I would not be surprised to learn that. Barack Obama is a part of a larger group of very liberal people worldwide who want to take power and change the planet. And um, one of those is making nice with the Muslims. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he is very much more closely associated with the Muslim community in the Middle East than we know about. I wouldn't be surprised, but I won't accept it, and I won't say it, and I will not believe it until the documentation is there. 
right. I remember the time uh, uh, four or five years ago when all kinds of people were out there, uh, conservatives largely, radicals and extremists, uh, trying to convince everybody that that uh, Barack Obama was not an American citizen, therefore could not be president. He'd have to uh, resign from the office. And, you know, that was just um, kind of makes you shake your head and wonder, what what is it we're talking about? Uh, we have so many important things to talk about, and we're talking about that. And there never was any documentation. And finally they got the documentation to show and prove that he w- was and is a citizen of the United States. Um, although if somebody finds fault with that documentation, well, I'll take a look at it. But getting back to the Netanyahu speech, and this will probably wrap up what we talk about today, um, he, he mainly uh, focused on Iran and their nuclear weapons. Iran has a very, very ugly, violent history. I think if they get nuclear weapons, uh, it's my opinion, um, they will use them. They will use them, probably on first on Israel, maybe second on the United States. Who knows? They will also develop intercontinental ballistic missiles, which is not all that hard. Iran with nuclear weapons is like getting uh, starting a new Nazi party in Germany. Very bad idea, uh, especially, mm-hmm. and again, uh, take yourself across the ocean, put yourself in Tel Aviv, and look a few hundred miles to your east, there's Iran, and they're building nuclear weapons, and they have vowed several times to wipe you off the face of the map. That is what their leaders have said. We're going to, uh, we're going to eliminate Israel from the planet, and they're building the nuclear weapons to do that. So if you are an Israeli living in Israel, you are very, very concerned. And Netanyahu expressed that in his speech yesterday. And by the way, this is the first time that I know of that a foreign leader has come to our Congress and, and stood there criticizing our president. Very interesting shift in globalism, you know, globalization. Uh, we're going, are we going to start seeing a lot of that? Uh, he talked about the sanctions, which were working, um, as one uh, pundit put it the other day. The sanctions that we had on then, their economic sanctions, uh, which are basically chokeholds on their economy, uh, had them on their knees. And then Obama removed the sanctions. And he, I, he said to them, I will take away the sanctions if you will sit down and talk to us and negotiate. So they've been negotiating in secret. And uh, Netanyahu in his speech said, make public your negotiations. What are you guys talking about? What's the deal? What deal, Mr. Mr. President, are you making with the Ayatollahs of Iran? Uh, put it out there. Mm-hmm. Let us all know about it. And he offered three conditions. In, well, four, actually, including the moratorium on Iranian nuclear uh, development. He said Iran must stop bullying its neighbors, which it frequently does, stop funding terrorists, which it has been doing for the last 30 years, even killing Americans, and stop threatening Israel. Just be quiet and live in peace. And and he made the point that Iran does not see the world the way we do. Uh, peace-loving, demo- democratic democracies. Uh, these are totalitarian religious rulers who, I tell you, they, uh, 
they say and have taken some action against ISIS because ISIS is Sunni and um, uh, Persia or Iran is Shiite, and they probably hate each other as much as they hate the Jews in Israel or hate us, the great Satan, as they call us. So it's a real, it's a real conundrum over there. Uh, but Iran doesn't see the world the way we see it. We see the world as a place to be made better, uh, take care of poverty, take care of disease, uh, help people, uh, help countries to grow and, and develop. Uh, Iran sees the world as a place to be conquered and turned into a caliphate, basically. Which is really sad. So, Woody, I, I do um, want to go to, I know we're going to be over time, but that's okay. Um, if we could hit the U.S. Um, is that fundamentally changed with, during the last six years? Because I think we can cover that fairly quickly in this show um, because we've been talking about that as our overall theme. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's just take a very quick look at the bullets here and then bring okay. it back in the next show to go into greater detail. Sounds if you look good. at these things, the national debt, the fact that we still are not out of the recession, uh, it's the longest economic downturn since the Great Depression and the second longest in our history, you see a tremendous growth if you look at the charts um, and expansion, the bureaucratic uh, agencies and, and the – I'd never seen before. I was just shocked and appalled when I heard about the uh, uh, Internal Revenue Service hammering people and threatening people and ugly and angry and the National Security Agency stealing our phone numbers and putting them in a bank, and and the EPA uh, going out and ordering Texas cattlemen about. I have never seen government do that. Those agencies are there to support the people, not to rule them. And here, see, here I go. And, okay, so we <laughs> see a, a great deal of that in the last six Paris, years. I know, we saw the Affordable I know, right? Care Act, which has got to be the worst single piece of legislation in United States history. We see a total abdication of leadership in foreign affairs. And uh, as a result, we see Putin doing whatever he wants to do in Russia. We see chaos throughout the Middle East and North Africa. And even over in the uh, Southwest Pacific, we see it. And we see a continued minimization of the Constitution. Uh, liberals would just like nothing better than to round up all the copies of the Constitution in America and burn them in a great bonfire and um, pursue governance as they see fit. So the question is, though, has the United States fundamentally changed during the last six years? Well, all of that, I think we can look at, and we can say all of that is superficial. No, the United States, even though... <laughs> I remember that speech in the big football stadium in 2007 down in North Carolina, and they filled the place up, 100,000 people, and Obama's down on the football field with his podium and his, um, what do you call those things, Felice, that he reads off of teleprompters. Teleprompter, and, yeah. um, and he's a very, very good at giving speeches, and the crowd was really energized and going crazy. And he got to the last of it. He departed. Um, from the uh, teleprompters, he said in a really loud and dramatic voice, he said, America is the greatest country in the history of the world. I hope you will help me fundamentally change her. And I thought, my God, what an idiot. Why would you change the greatest country in the history of the world? <laughs> I mean, 
everybody else should change and try to be like us. Uh, so basically, um, what was you know the point is that Constitution doesn't matter. Uh, he is all that matters, and he is basically the tip of the spear, I guess, as president of the liberal movement. That's not just in America; it's globalized. You find it many places throughout the world. These people do communicate with one another. But still, did he fundamentally change America in the last six years? No, he didn't. And you and I are evidence of that. And the Republican takeover of the Senate in the last election is um, evidence of that and many, many other things that we can get into. It takes longer than six years to change 225 years of history. Yeah. But I think most of us are sitting here holding our breaths over the next uh, year and a half, uh, however much we have left, and we're all doing a countdown, um, you know, to to that other change, and that is a new president. Um, and Hillary Clinton's yes. in the hot seat uh, as we speak because apparently she was using her personal emails instead of the government-issued email uh, to correspond, which looks like it's a major snafu. I mean, do you think? You should be using something that's not uh, that can be easily hacked, um, or should we be using something that has a little bit more uh, protection? Or are we doing it because we don't want transparency? So a lot of questions coming out, and uh, even liberal media was picking it up. Of course, they said, "Well, I don't think the common voter cares." Um, but after the, the situations that have been coming forth with uh, you know, the author, uh, one of the authors uh, or proponents of pushing the Common Core, whose name escapes me, I need to write these things down, when he said, you know, the American, um, not Common Core, sorry, um, I'm getting that, and, and uh, the Affordable Care Act, where he said, okay. uh, what was his name, Woody? So I'm not remembering it, but we'll, we'll, I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, when he said, you know, America is the only reason we were able to pass this is because Americans are stupid. And, you know, Americans are not stupid. Um, we are uh, going to, you know, uh, find out about this. And, you know, even though we get, uh, like you said, what, what, what did you say, 91% uh, of the media is not conservative. Um you know, it, 75 percent. Yeah, that's that's horrible. Very liberal. Yeah. Yes, it is. It certainly yeah, is. Yeah. But um, yeah, the guy's anyway, name um, was Gruber. I'm looking I think. it up here. Yes, yeah, Gruber. G R U B E R. Called voters stupid. So you know, I, I think things like that that came out, you know, because even the liberal media can't squelch that, even they can't squelch the fact that, you know, Hillary used her personal email, and while, you know, people are probably saying, well, what's the big deal? Uh, transparency is the big deal, and with Clintons, um, you know, they they really have had, um, you know, <laughs> a problem with that over the years, and I'm still shocked that they're in politics after everything that they've gone through. But anyway, Woody, we have gone over time, and we are going to pick up on um, the U.S. fundamentally changed uh, during the last six years. We're also going to talk about Americans, Christian foundations, as well as the Keystone uh, Pipeline, and more. So we will. Next, uh, I think next next show we'll start with those two. Yep, sounds good, Woody. 
All right. Well, as um, as always, thank you. And if you are listening, uh, remember to check our show schedule. So if you go to ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com and click on the show calendar, you will see when the next show airs live. And as always, you can follow this on any uh, podcast player on your phone or on the computer and get the next uh, shows as they are produced. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. And thanks, Woody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Felice. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.